Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Today was the first day of the second quarter. You know, a lot of uh, investors were probably hoping uh, to get this quarter started better uh, than the last one. I mentioned on yesterday's podcast that it was the worst quarter for the stock market since the uh, 1987 stock market crash. What I didn't mention, I didn't even realize, uh, but it's actually the worst first quarter ever, right? So if you just look at how the stock market has done in the first quarter of the year, there has never been a year that started off as bad as this year. So 2020, we are off to the worst start for the U.S. stock market in the history of the U.S. stock market, meaning that even during the the, the dark days of the 1930s, during the Great Depression, the stock market never got off to as weak a start as, as it just did. Yet, despite that, you still have a lot of people out there that think that this is uh, going to be a quick bear market, right? Because they still are fixated on the pin. They still don't get the bubble, right? They're still looking at the fact that, oh, this is man-made, right? I keep hearing people saying, we did this to ourselves. This is not a real bear market. This is not a real recession, you know, because we decided to shut down the economy. So all we have to do is decide to start it back up again. And everything is going to be fine, right? We just have to transition ourselves between the time we decide to turn it off and the time we decide to turn it back on again. So as long as the Federal Reserve can print up enough money to bail out everybody between now and then, everything is going to be fine. But this is all wishful thinking. It's all part of the delusion. It's not going to be fine because it wasn't fine before the crisis. We didn't have a solid economy. We had a bubble. That's the problem. And the bubble has been pricked. There is no way to go back to where we were. It's like, you know, trying to unscramble an egg. It, it can't be done. You know, once you crack that egg and it's scrambled, it, it, you're never going back to an egg. So this economy, the stock market is completely scrambled. You cannot put it back the way it was. I mean, the Fed may think they can. They just think, oh, we did it last time. See, we reflated a bubble last time. Yeah, they were able to do it last time. There's no possible way. That, that they can do it again. And, you know, look at these drops we had today. The, the Dow was down 973 points. It was down over 1,100 on the lows. That's 4.44% on the Dow. The NASDAQ was down about the same percentage. It was down 4.3%. And if you look at the Russell 2000, which, again, is 
the the, the weakest uh, of the indexes, which is the one that most closely uh, uh, reflects the U.S. economy, domestic economy, that was down over 7%. In one day, it's down 7%. I mean, this is just a normal day. It's just a Wednesday, right? It's down 7%. I mean, we're almost down again 40% from the peak of the Russell 2000. And this bear market is just getting started. We're like a month into it, right? Now, maybe if you want to say it started back in 20, uh, 2018, like I, I was saying, but we actually made new highs. I mean, not the Russell, but the Dow, the NASDAQ, the S&P were at new highs uh, earlier this year. I think in February. Again, you know, this is the quickest we've ever gone from record highs to bear markets in the history. But for people who think it's going to be short and sweet, that it's going to be over, this, this, this they're delusional. We are at the beginning of a secular bear market. It's not just going to last for years. It's going to span the entire decade and probably more. So anybody who thinks they're near a bottom, I mean, there's no way. I mean, we're still near the top. I mean, U.S. stocks are still extremely expensive despite the fall. I mean, you could argue that they're actually more expensive given what's happening to their earnings now than they were before the stocks went down because they started uh, from very, very high levels. But it's just not just about the stocks. Because remember, the reason that people were buying stocks was because they were going up. Well, they're not going up anymore. So there's no reason to buy them. A lot of the stocks were being fueled by buybacks. That isn't going to happen. I mean, none of this money that the Fed is creating now, none of it's going to be used to buy back stock. I mean, nobody would dare buy back stock especially all the companies that are getting bailed out, they can't buy back stock, right? In fact, if you look at the attitude now uh, in government, it's almost like the companies don't even exist for the benefit of the shareholders. I mean, I, you know, and, and this sentiment is worldwide now. I mean, I was reading about what's happening over in France. They're putting a lot of pressure on companies not to pay dividends, even companies that aren't necessarily getting bailed out but the idea is, well, if you're going to have to lay off some workers, then you shouldn't also be paying dividends uh, to your shareholders. Like, why should the shareholders uh, benefit when the workers are suffering? But they've got it backwards. I mean, the shareholders own the company. The workers don't own the company. They're only there to benefit the shareholders. Because after all, the shareholders took the risk of forming the company. That's why the jobs are there. They're not there. Companies aren't there to create jobs. That's a benefit that we get, right? When somebody starts a business to make a profit for themselves, they generally have to hire people to make that profit. So that's good for the people who get those jobs. But that is not the purpose for which companies are organized. I mean, no company would get founded. If I was going to start a company and I was looking for investors and I said, look, I want to start this company. And my goal is just to create a lot of jobs and to pay my workers really high salaries. I mean, I don't know if I'm ever going to make a profit. I'm just trying to set this up uh, for the benefit of the people I'm going to hire. Would anybody invest in that company? No, the company wouldn't have any money. So it couldn't have any employees. The only reason that companies are started is because the people who invest their capital believe that they're going to make a return on their investment. Now, they may be wrong. They could lose their capital. They're taking a risk. They're not going to take that risk unless they think that they can make a good profit. But they're trying to change the rules. They're trying to act as if, you know, these companies are here simply for the benefit of workers. And I think that attitude is permeating in the United States, right? That companies shouldn't be paying dividends. They shouldn't be uh, buying back stock. They shouldn't be rewarding their shareholders, not if they're going to lay off workers. 
And, you know, this whole movement now to not lay off workers is misguided. I mean, companies are seeing a huge reduction in demand for their goods and services. They need fewer workers. If they keep workers that they don't need, if they keep them on the payroll, then they're going to be even worse shape. Right. What, what, what the politicians don't seem to get is the job losses today are preserving jobs for the future. If companies keep bloated payrolls, then they could go out of business and there is no future and everybody loses their job. But all this political pressure is there. Don't fire anybody. Nobody has to pay their rent. I mean, they're basically completely short circuiting capitalism as if this is going to work. You know, I read this article again about how uh, Mnuchin and Powell, they're working together to save the economy. I mean, they're not going to save the economy. First of all, they shouldn't even be working together. I mean, I read some article where um, Mnuchin is boasting that he talks to Powell like 30 times a day. I mean, why are they even talking? They shouldn't be talking. They're not supposed to be working together. The, the Federal Reserve is supposed to provide some fiscal discipline. They don't provide anything. They're acting as if they're an arm of the government, not an independent central bank, which is what they're supposed to be. I mean, all this nonsense about how you remember when when Donald Trump was uh, criticizing Powell, you know, for not cutting rates. And everybody was saying, oh, no, we don't want to compromise the independence of the Federal Reserve. Where are all those guys now? Where are all the people that didn't want to compromise the independence of the Federal Reserve? I mean, what happened to those guys? Nobody cares that Donald Trump is now running the Federal Reserve. I Mnuchin is running the Federal Reserve. That Powell's just, you know, their yes man, their lap dog doing whatever they want. Nobody cares now, right? Because everybody wants all this bailout money. Everybody wants the stimulus. They think these guys are saving the economy. Just like there was that famous Atlantic uh, magazine cover, Ben Bernanke. They said he was the savior of the economy. He didn't save the economy. He set us up for this collapse. It's the free market that would have saved the economy, not these central planners. I mean, do you think that the way to save capitalism is to have government micromanage and centrally plan that recovery to pick the winners and losers, to funnel bailout money uh, to whoever they want? Is that it? The central planning work? It's never worked. It's not going to work here just because we think Mnuchin is so smart or Powell are so smart. I mean, how smart really are they? But I don't care if we put Albert Einstein in charge. Nobody is smarter than the market, right? That, that's the beauty of capitalism because nobody has to figure anything out. It's everybody acting in their own self-interest, working independently of one another out of their own uh, self-interest, right? That's how the free market works. That's how you get the efficient allocation of resources, right? No one person could figure out how to do stuff, right? I, it reminds me of that, uh, the, the story about the pencil, which I saw, we put up a video, a great little video. I saw Shift Gold uh, put it out, but where, you know, you go over, you know, all the various inputs that go into making something as simple as a pencil, right? From the wood, from the metal, uh, from the rubber, from the paint. I mean, all the various uh, businesses that have to work in order to make that pencil possible, but they're not all cooperating. Their goal isn't to make a pencil. They're just making the ingredients that become a pencil. And there's no central planner telling everyone what to do. It just works. Nobody could plan it. It couldn't happen by design. It has to work through a market. So try to you know, watch that video. It's, it's, it's very well done if you don't know that story. But so we don't want these guys. They can't save the economy. What they're trying to do is save the bubble. Right. They're trying to prevent the bubble from deflating, which even if they could do that, it would be a mistake. Right. Trying to reflate this bubble would be a mistake because that's what they did before. And it was a disaster. We're just seeing the beginning 
of that disaster now. But I don't think, and I've been saying this for years, that reflating this bubble is impossible. They're not going to do it. They're going to destroy the dollar in the process, and we're going to have this massive inflation. But I want to also talk about this dynamic that I believe is going to be going on in the U.S. stock market. Because, again, people have been buying the stock market because it's been going up. Well, now that it's going down, the momentum buyers are gone, and the value buyers aren't here because there's no value in these, in these overpriced stocks. And if you look at some of the most widely held stocks, right, the Amazons, the Ebays, the Googles, the Netflixes. I mean, these are stocks that don't even pay any dividends, right? They pay zero dividends. And they're at sky high valuations and they've barely begun to fall. But here's what's going to happen, right? So you're going to have lots of unemployment in the United States, right? A lot of people are going to lose their jobs and they're not all going to get their jobs back, right? Even when we have the all clear, let's just assume optimistically that maybe at the end of April or in May, uh, the coronavirus is contained enough that we can, hey, we don't have any curfews anymore, no more lockdown, uh, you know, people don't have to stay home. We, we can, the government says we can go back to work. Not everybody's going back to work. A, a lot of people aren't going to want to go back to work because they're getting paid more not to work. But a lot of the jobs aren't going to be there, right, because the bubble has popped. And a lot of those jobs were a function of the bubble. So there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be unemployed. Now, the people who we're making $30,000, $40,000 a year, you know, they're, they're actually going to be making more money not working than they were making working, you know, and, and if they keep extending those temporary benefits, that could go on for a while. Obviously, their cost of living is going to go up. So at some point, the real value of those government checks is going to be diminished. But in the short run, you know, they're kind of all right, especially if they don't have to pay their rent, because if they're making more and not paying rent, then that, then they, that's a twofer. But you have a lot of people that earn maybe 100,000 a year, 150, 200,000 a year. What they're going to get in unemployment benefits isn't even going to come close to uh, bridging the gap between what they earned when they were still working. And these are the guys that have money in uh, retirement accounts. They've been contributing to their IRAs. They've been putting money in their 401ks. And they're going to need that money. They're going to be withdrawing that retirement money sooner than they thought. And in fact, the government is already like waiving penalties, right? So you can, you know, to, to make it easier for you to pull the money out, you don't have to pay the penalties. So a lot of people are going to be tapping into their retirement funds a lot sooner than they thought. But if a lot of this money has been held in stocks because, you know, the Fed has got everybody into the stock market because there was no return in bonds, right? So everybody went out on the risk curve. Everybody was gambling their retirement on the stock market, right? They, they put it all on the, the crap table and they just kept rolling and rolling and hoping that, you know, a seven wouldn't come up. Well, now there's been a seven roll, but now they got to start selling. Who's going to buy? You got millions of people in the same boat that are loaded up in these overpriced stocks and now they need to sell. I mean, they can't collect the dividends on the stocks because the stocks don't pay any dividends. Uh, so you're going to have all this selling and there's no buyers. There's nothing there. This The market was almost like a pyramid scheme, right? It, you just needed new money, right? What made stock prices go up? More people buying. As long as nobody was selling and more people wanted to buy, the prices could keep going up. But now it works in reverse. The people that own want out and there's no new money coming in. So the price could just go down. So it's just going to implode. There's no value in the market. I mean, it's not like you could just live off your dividends because there are no dividends. And even the people who were living off of dividends are getting killed. And I have been warning about this for a long time. And now you can see everything blowing up. 
Let me give you one example. And there's a lot of stocks like this, a lot of bond funds, but there's a company, New Residential Investment Corp. NRZ is a symbol of this stock. And a lot of people were buying this because they needed income, right? And, and so they couldn't get income uh, from a safe investment because the yields were, were too low. So they took risk. Although a lot of people didn't necessarily appreciate the amount of risk they were taking. I've been warning about this for years on these closed-end funds. So this company bought mortgages, residential mortgages. People think, oh, that's safe, right? I just own a mortgage on a house, right? Even though the, we had a mortgage crisis in 2008, right? So people should have learned that, you know, mortgages actually have a lot of risk, right? But this is a, a, a closed-end fund trading that owns these mortgages. But to make it worse, what they did is to make the investment more attractive, they borrowed money to buy mortgages, right? Because borrowing money was so cheap thanks to the Fed. So they can borrow money real cheap and then use that borrowed money to buy a mortgage where the mortgage was paying higher than the cost of borrowing. And so that extra money made a higher return. So now they can pay a bigger dividend to the people who bought the shares. So you had a lot of people who were buying this thinking, oh, this is safe, right? I'm just trying to get income. I'm buying these mortgages, right? I'm basically a bank. They don't realize about all the leverage. Well, anyway, all these things start to blow up. This stock uh, is down 75% in basically the last month. If you just take today's loss, which was another 13%, and last month, it's down about 75%. And the dividend has been slashed by 90%. They were paying 50 cents a share, and now they're paying 5 cents a share. Now, imagine somebody who has been living off of this in retirement. 90% of their income is gone. Now, maybe they didn't have everything in this stock, but maybe they had several other stocks that also blew up, right? They didn't realize what they had. They were told this is safe. These are bonds. <laughs> yeah, bonds can be very, very risky, especially if you introduce leverage. Now, the company is having to quickly liquidate uh, part of their portfolio to pay down their debt. It doesn't matter what happens with the coronavirus. This stock's not coming back to where it was. The income's not going to be restored. So you have people, shareholders, that are now losing all that income. There's no, they're not going to get a bailout check because all their income went away uh, from their bond, closed-end bond funds or from these, these mortgage REITs. Uh, so the market is imploding. The bubble has popped. And this has real profound impact. I mean, for people who are saying this is not a financial crisis, when these financials are blowing up, just like the financial crisis, it doesn't matter that we think that the wound was self-inflicted. We still got the wound and we can't heal it because we didn't wound a healthy economy. It was a sick economy that got wounded. And when the wound heals, the economy is still sick, right? People just don't recognize the, the gravity of, of the situation. I know if you look too at the economic forecast, you know, Goldman Sachs now, they're looking for the GDP to contract by about 30%. I mean, 30%, right? I mean, the GDP is about 21 trillion. I mean, you're talking about a move below 15 trillion in GDP, but at the same time, the national debt is exploding. I mean, we're almost at 24 trillion now. We will be, I think, at a 30 trillion national debt uh, by the end of next year. 
if Goldman Sachs is right and the economy contracts to that degree, what if the GDP goes down to 15 trillion and the national debt goes up to 30 trillion? You've got a national debt of 200% of GDP. I mean, no country, I mean, 200% of GDP. And if you look at the annual budget deficits, I bet the budget deficits could end up being 20% of GDP. I mean, this is incredible. We're already, right now, the debt to GDP is almost 110%. And that's before we're going to get the recession. That's based on where the numbers are now. I mean, they're about to go ballistic. But I, I wrote down some numbers on the debt to GDP at the end of the Second World War. At the end of 1945, the debt to GDP got up to 114%. Now, that's an all-time record high. We're about to move through that like a hot knife through butter. We're going to blow through 114% of GDP. But the difference between America in 1945 and America in 2020 is we had a real economy in 1945. We were an industrial economy. We had tremendous savings. And the middle class just started paying taxes. Remember, I, I mentioned that before the war, hardly anybody paid taxes. Taxes really started during the war. Well, the government left the taxes on. And so we were able to get out of, out of debt. And the economy, we had tremendous economic growth in the 1950s, right? Then the 1960s. So by 1974, that was the low point. The debt to GDP had come all the way down to 31%. So we reduced it from 114% down to 31%. And it's been going up ever since. But there is no possible way that we're ever going to reduce the debt again. I mean, how is it going to happen? No one is even talking about, hey, how do we pay back this money? I mean, it's like we never have to pay it back. I mean, we obviously paid it down after the Second World War. So the people who are saying, well, you know, we ran up the debt to GDP during the Second World War. Yeah, we did. And then it went way down. How are we going to bring it down this time? It is impossible. And we're going to get to a much, much higher number uh, than we did then at, at, at 200%. And again, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We're not talking about uh, the unfunded liabilities and also the states and the federal government. They have all this debt. Corporations have much more debt now than they had in the 40s. Individuals had much more debt now than we had back then. I mean, it's night and day, the comparison. So this, this is not a situation that can be repaired. This is a, uh, a catastrophic outcome that nobody is, is, is talking about. You know, and I was watching today on, on CBC and there was an interview. Mnuchin was interviewed and, you know, he's talking with uh, Kramer, who's got these idiotic, crazy ideas. You know, he was actually talking about the Great Depression when in order to keep prices high, they were we were destroying agriculture. We were destroying livestock to keep food prices high. One of the dumbest things that we did during the Depression Right. Kramer was saying that we need to do that now that, you know, because he said oil prices were too low and we need to do something to make oil prices go up. I mean, first of all, oil prices will go up eventually. I mean, that's going to happen. But to say that what we need is higher prices is asinine. I mean, nobody needs. I mean, yes, if you're selling something, you want higher prices, but not if you're buying something the, the, the idea that we destroyed food. And that even shows you that the Great Depression wasn't really that bad. If the problem that we had was food was too cheap. If we were actually dumb enough to destroy food, that means that nobody was starving, right? Because we wouldn't have starving people if we were destroying food. But it was, a, it was a ridiculous, idiotic idea that the problem in the economy was that food was too inexpensive. 
I mean, that's that, that that's not a problem. That's a benefit, right? Abundant food, low-cost food. I mean, that's what you want. That's a goal, right? But that's not going to happen this time. I and mean, we're going to have food prices going way up as a result of, of all this inflation. But after Kramer was kind of saying that, yeah, we need to have these same misguided policies, you know, he looks at the, the dumb ideas from the 30s and actually thinks that they were good ideas. But he's talking to Mnuchin. And, and Mnuchin is like, look, you know, we're putting $6 trillion into this economy and it's going to do a lot of good. And one of the things he said, he said, you know, don't worry, because if we run out of the $350 billion in the bailout fund for small businesses, right, if we run out of that, well, you know, don't worry, we'll, we'll just go back to Congress and get more money. Like it's just an open ended checkbook because he said, look, it's a very popular program. So don't worry if we run out of money because we got plenty more. I mean, where is it all coming from? I mean, first of all, the Small Business Administration is normally tiny. Now they're giving out $350 billion in a matter of weeks. I mean, how are they even going to do that? I mean, first of all, how can they vet any of these applications? I haven't actually been to the website yet, uh, but there will be more fraud because they can't possibly scrutinize the people that are asking for money, right? All these forgivable loans. So yeah, they're going to blow through their $350 billion, and then they're going to go right back and they're going to get more, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a bottomless pit of money. And when Mnuchin said, we're, we're adding $6 trillion to the economy, like they're just, all you got to do is print money and stir, right? And now everything is going gonna, is gonna to percolate, right? This is great. We're just adding money in and you know, the money has no value. They're not adding anything. When you print money and put it into an economy, you haven't added anything of value. I mean, if printing $6 trillion, right, $6 trillion is good, why not $12 trillion? I mean, why isn't $12 trillion twice as good as $6 trillion? Right. And, you know, if printing money and spending it in the economy, if it's good to do that when times are bad, well, then isn't it even better to do it when times are good? I mean, if it works now, why doesn't it always work? Nobody is asking these questions. The government is not putting any value into the economy. They're putting paper money. They're creating inflation. That's all they're doing. What they're really doing is screwing up the economy. They are preventing the economy from restructuring in a healthy way. They are keeping indebted companies in business and in debt. They are preventing the free market from restructuring the economy in a more sustainable way. That's exactly what would have happened. Had these guys not gotten involved after the 08 bubble burst, we would have a much healthier economy now. In fact, had they not been involved after the dot-com bubble burst, we never would have had the financial crisis. So they created the crisis. And then they created this crisis because they intervened after that crisis. And now they're making the same mistake. But nobody realizes they're making a mistake. Everybody wants them to do it again. Because, again, everybody is still operating under the delusion that it worked the last time. And it didn't work the last time. It was an abject failure the last time. Yes, it inflated a bigger bubble, but that's not success. That is failure. Recreating the very conditions that led to the crisis is not a successful solution. That's more of the problem. And because this is a much bigger bubble, right? the crisis that we have today, that's just getting started. People still haven't come to terms with the magnitude of what has just happened. And I think the coronavirus is, is actually covering that up, again, by, by creating the, the idea that this is all about the virus and this is just all man-made and therefore... We can put an end to it whenever we want. We can't, you know, we, we let the cat out of the bag. 
so many dominoes are about to fall, right? That it can't be done. And of course, we may be underestimating how long this coronavirus is going to be there. And of course, the politicians now have a vested interest in in, in maintaining this crisis environment because it kind of lets them off the hook, right? Because now we can't blame them because if they say it's because of the coronavirus, well, now it's not their fault, right? Nothing is their fault. And they use the hysteria around this coronavirus to grab power, to usurp power, to do things that they never would be able to do if we were in a normal environment. I mean, if we weren't all scared to death that we were going to die of a pandemic. So they take this and they are going to exploit it. So this may be here for a lot longer uh, than we think because the powers that be have a vested interest in, in, in maintaining this environment, A, as a scapegoat, but B, as a mechanism to do what they wanted to do anyway, right? To get government bigger. And all these entities that needed bailouts, well, now again, now they're just blaming their condition on the coronavirus when they were going to face this eventually anyway. But now they could just deal with it and say, it's not our fault. It's only because of this crisis. And because it's not our fault, then we get bailed out, right? Because nobody could possibly hold us responsible for this coronavirus. And politically, it makes a lot of sense. Yes, it's not anybody's fault. It's no, no, no one of us did this, right? You're unemployed because of the coronavirus. Oh, it's not your fault, right? So therefore, you're entitled to all this money. Well, you know what? Where does the money come from? And you know what? Shit happens. That's an expression. Yeah, bad stuff happens. That's not your fault. You got to deal with it. That's why you have to prepare for stuff that happens. It's not your fault, right? People have insurance. They get the accidents that are not their fault, right? It's not like, you know, hey, it's not my fault. I shouldn't have to pay. Look, I mean, you know, somebody hits you. They don't have insurance or it's like, you know, somebody bangs up your car while it's in a parking lot. It's not your fault, but you still have insurance to cover the accident that wasn't your fault. You just parked your car. Some idiot banged into it while you weren't even there and didn't leave a note. All right, well, it wasn't your fault. Okay. And if you didn't have insurance, it's your own tough luck. You can't go to the government and say, hey, it wasn't my fault. No, the accident wasn't your fault. What wasn't your fault is that you didn't have insurance. What wasn't your fault is you didn't have money because, you know, not everybody's a good driver. Somebody's going to bang into your car. That's what happens when you own stuff. That's life, right? Things are going to happen that are beyond your control that aren't your fault. But the politicians are just using this, right, to buy votes and to grab power. And so we're losing a lot of freedom and we're losing a lot of liberty uh, as a result of this crisis which is, again, why the crisis is going to perpetuate. And, you know, we're, it, it's going to be uh, the justification for more socialism, more capitalism. And as I say, I, I'm afraid that, as I said earlier in the podcast, that public companies in particular, publicly traded companies, and especially the ones that are perceived as, you know, benefiting from the bailouts, right, the very nature and character of these companies is going to be changed, right? So that the companies are now organized for the benefit of their employees, not even their customers, not their owners, but the employees. And that's really a socialist model, right? That the businesses are there to provide jobs for the workers because if you're running a company and your goal is simply to provide jobs, then you're not going to be in business very long and you're not going to provide any jobs. The way a company is able to maintain a workforce is by maintaining customers. The customer is key, right? And so how do you keep your customer? You've got to give him 
the lowest price and the highest quality. Well, if you're overpaying your workers, you're not going to do that. Somebody else is going to do that. And so somebody else who's putting profits before their workers is going to win the business because the customers don't give a damn. Now, I remember that was one of the arguments I had with this guy on my Occupy Wall Street video, which most of you have probably seen. It's on my website uh, when I went to Zuccotti Park. But you have all these people that say, hey, these businessmen, you know, they're, they're, they're paying low wages, right? It's not. And I said, well, the reason businesses pay low wages is because customers want low prices. That's, that's the whole key to it. I mean, yeah, every businessman would pay his workers more if he thought he could. I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? Why not pay everybody $50,000 a year? Why not pay people who cook French fries $100,000 a year? Why not? I mean, yeah, are these businessmen greedy? They just don't want their unskilled workers to, to have a really good living. And why not give them vacations and paid sick leave and all this stuff? Because if they did that, nobody would buy their hamburgers. Nobody would buy the French fries because they would be too expensive. The only way to run a restaurant that anybody is going to go to is to pay these low wages, low enough so that people will want to work there. So don't blame the business owner, blame the customer. Right? That's why I used to always joke about somebody should open up a, you know, a restaurant and call it Liberal Cafe and, and, and market and say, hey, you know, this is, you know, this is Liberal Cafe. And I pay $20 minimum wage. I provide everybody with full benefits and pensions and health care and maternity leave and all this, you know, but, you know, my hamburgers are $50. If you want a Coke, it's $20, right? This is what it costs me, right? And they, you know, how many liberals, right? Big hearted liberals would dine at liberal cafe. Nobody, they would go out of business right away, right? So if an entrepreneur actually tried to do what all the liberals say they should do, they would be out of business right away. You know, that's why, you know, whenever I get in an argument with a liberal, they want to say, you're not paying your workers enough. I say, well, why don't you hire them and pay them more? How many people do you employ? You know, I really, it's hard to run into a liberal who employs anybody. But you know what? They do employ people indirectly, right? Because we all employ people indirectly. Like, like, let's say, you know, you have a car accident or, you, you know, you, you need, you need uh, new brakes uh, and you have to find a mechanic or something goes wrong. And you got to hire a plumber, right? You know, your, your, your sink uh, is clogged. You know, well, what do you do? Well, you maybe you, you, you go on Google and you call two or three plumbers and you say, hey, I, you know, what would you charge me to come over and do this? Right. You make two or three calls. And what do you do? Do you go with the most expensive guy? No. Right. No, you go with the probably the least expensive guy. So when, when liberals are spending their own money, they don't care about what the, the worker is earning. Right. They're not trying to find the most expensive a plumber or the most expensive mechanic as they want these guys to have a high wage. They're worrying about the price that they're paying for their plumbing or the price that they're paying for uh, their mechanic. Or, you know, you go and you get a haircut, right? You know, you know, I mean, the money that you pay to get a haircut is paying the salary. The guy that's cutting your hair, right? If the, if the guy said, Oh, I want to pay my, uh, my hair cutters all this money, well, you're going to have to pay a hundred dollars for your haircut. Well, no, thank you. I'm going to the, uh, you know, the, the nine ninety five super cut, right? Because, they, they're trying they're trying to save money so all these all these liberals they don't create any jobs uh, and so they just assume uh, that the people that do are just mean and exploiting people but the market determines wages and what ultimately determines wages is competition because the the jobs are, are an ends to a means the business owner and that applies to a small business or a big publicly traded corporation you are trying to provide, goods and services to your customers, 
right? And your customers are the driver of everything that you do, which is the beauty of capitalism, right? Because you have all these businesses trying to improve the lives of, of their customers, right? Which is all of us consumers, right? Under a command economy, the, the government doesn't give a damn about the consumer, right? But corporations, publicly traded companies and small businesses, they have to care about the consumer because without the consumer, they're out of business. So everything is consumer focused and the consumer wants value. And if they don't get it at your business, they're going to go and go someplace else. In fact, today with the internet, it's probably never been easier for consumers uh, to pick the lowest price or the best quality. You can find all kinds of information, uh, all kinds of you know reviews of companies and everything like that. So there's all this pressure. And, and so if you're going to now say, well, these businesses are there for their employees. You can't fire workers who aren't needed, right? You got to keep people on your payroll because that's why you're in business. Well, they're not going to be able to retain their customers. The customers aren't going to give a damn about the fact that these companies are doing a nice thing and they're employing people they don't need because when they employ people they don't need, that means their prices are too high and the customer is going to go to somebody else. And maybe that other company is foreign, right? Maybe it's not an American business. Uh, and so these businesses are going to be driven out of business, and which means the only way they can stay in business is if the government perpetually bails them out. They now become wards of the state or the government continues to increase their ownership of these businesses until you have an entire economy that's centrally planned and run by the government. And we all know that doesn't work. That's a complete disaster. But before we even get there, right, the dollar is going to implode. Yeah, the dollar was up again today, right? You have this shortage of dollars temporarily, just like we had a shortage of dollars temporarily uh, in the 2008 crisis. Uh, but the shortage is going to be replaced with a glut. There'll be dollars all over the place, right? The price of the dollar is going to implode like it did uh, following uh, the initial QE and 0% interest rates. After the initial spike, the dollar started to fall off. But what stopped it, again, was the false belief that the printing was over that rates were going to go to normal, that the balance sheet was going to shrink. And nobody is going to believe that. So the government is now letting this inflation genie completely out of the bottle. They are, uh, they have got everybody in now. They're all not only, are they all Keynesianists? They're all modern monetary theorists, right? They all believe in that. They've gone so far to the deep end, right? That they, that they, that they, they believe that the absurd, right? Absurd economic thinking is now the mainstream. And the, the consensus is in for an extremely rude awakening. It's going to happen a lot sooner than people think.